Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. And from the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Natalie Alavi, president of NBA Engineering Incorporated. NBA Engineering is an award-winning mechanical and electrical engineering design and construction management firm. NBA has offices in San Francisco, Oakland, and Los Angeles with lead accredited professionals on staff. Since 1994, NBA Engineering has been helping the environment through innovative designs. For more information, you feel free to visit nbaeng.com. That's nbaeng.com. Hello, Natalie. It's an honor and pleasure having you on the Modern Architect Show today. Good morning, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for including me in your talk show. Oh, we sought each well, at least I sought you out for quite a while, and I'm happy that you're on our show. Natalie, I'd like to start off with early inspirations, if you will. If you can go back as far as you can recall as to when you decided to be an engineer, to to own your own business, run your own business, are there any galvanizing moments as far back as you can recall where it kind of, it was either a one epiphany or it was... Gradual. Well, it's interesting, Tom, because it depends on how early you're talking about, because I was always very good in math and physics throughout my schooling, but I had no idea what engineering was all about. My father, growing up, was a very supportive person of his children's education, even though he was a physician, but he always encouraged me to be an engineer. I suppose he saw the potential in me or whatever. <laughs> Growing up, I thought I would become an engineer and I worked for an oil industry in my motherland. But fast forward, revolution happened. And then I ended up in America and studying engineering at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And I wanted to fulfill my childhood goal and go back after graduation and work for the oil industry. But along the way, things changed. And I had a professor that He taught thermodynamics, and he had worked in building and construction industry. This fellow was such a good professor. He opened my eyes to this business, and then since he was a great professor and motivated me a great deal, and 
it didn't hurt that I aced his class. I thought <laughs> this was what I wanted to do. And yeah. uh, the rest is history. But if you're referring to my inspiration of starting my own firm, that is a whole different long story. Oh, well, we have we have time, but that's excellent. So you're you're actually covering both. You've exceeded even the question, which was I wanted it from a personal, and you shared that, and even a professional. So, how important do you feel in hindsight is the encouragement of obviously your father and a professor? How important is that to even where you are now? Do you you know, hear your? It voice? is absolutely important. You know, okay. it is very important because you know a lot of times students go to these classes and they're so boring, <laughs> and they the last thing they want to do is, is continue. And the last thing they want to do is sit through an hour worth of you know calculus, physics, thermodynamics, whatever. But if they make it interesting and they show that there's a lot more to engineering than a, a calculus or physics class, it makes a whole lot of difference. And, you know, again, going back to my inspiration for my, you know, to starting my own firm, a lot of things can happen in life that, you know, it can be at times may look bad and they may look that, why am I doing this? But then in the long run, it teaches you a lot of lessons. If I tell you the story, you know what I'm getting at. Like right after school, it was a couple of years after school. Well, right after school, I started working for this uh, multinational architectural engineering firm. And I was a rising star, and I had a boss that she liked me because I was doing all her work, but she disliked me at the same time since there was a rumor going around that I was aiming for her position, and I had no clue. What is she talking about, you know? And one day she came up to me, and she said, Natalie, there is a position open in Japan for a chief engineer. If you want it, the position is yours. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I thought she was pulling my leg, and I thought, <laughs> okay, and I'm a junior engineer, that you're offering me a position of chief engineer in Japan. <laughs> so I called my father and asked his advice, and as usual, he was for it. So yeah. that's what I'm talking about, encouragement. Sure. And then he said that this is an opportunity of a lifetime. If you don't do it, you will always regret So in two weeks, I had my bags packed and ready to go to Japan and running 12 projects that were related to military and working with government of Japan. So many challenges have happened along the way. But fast forward, after six months and having done a great job, I returned back to U.S. Mm -hmm. And even though the head of the Japan's office didn't want me to come back, but I thought, you know, I did my duty in Japan, so I wanted to come back to the United States. And I thought coming back to U.S. will be I will be facing a great reception. But in contrary, my car keys to the garage didn't work. All my books were packed and left in somebody else's office. I didn't have an office. I didn't have a project. So anyway, oh. so I went and I thought, okay, I put two and two together and figure that this is all politics. Yes. And that is, you know, and my boss, you know, probably want to get rid of me. And this is what this is all about. And so I went to my boss's boss and I said, listen, can you, can you give me my own project? So he sent me to Northern California as a construction manager for a prison project in Stockton. And so it was then that I decided, okay, that's enough. I don't want to work for a large firm. I want to work for a, a smaller company because I just want to do away with all the unnecessary politics. So I accepted a position as a chief engineer for a small engineering firm in San Francisco. And it is very interesting that these things that happen in life, if they're encouragement, they push you one way. If they're 
discouraging things and depends on what you do with it, you know, you can still make it in this business and make a lemonade out of a lemon, you know? <laughs> well, it's a testament definitely to your resilience, but what was interesting, I don't know if it's interesting or sad, maybe both, is the core element there, the human element, which was envy and or jealousy. I think jealous envy is actually worse than jealousy. And it it involves, even though as a team or a company that it still exists. And how have you found that you overcome the challenges, not just as a professional, but even within that? And how do you minimize it as a culture within your own company now? Well, that's the whole thing. You know, going back to the story, that's why after I worked for that small company, the encouragement of my own boss and my client pushed me to even start my own company. Because, you know, like uh, everywhere I went, I put my, you know, working on these projects, I put my heart and soul into it. And the clients were asking me if this was my own firm. And I said, no. And so they really yeah, planted that thought in my head. And my boss wanted me to start a separate firm because at the time there were a lot of government contracts that required women-owned business. And they wanted me to set up that company to share with his son and, you know, run the company. And so one day when I was on a trip in Czechoslovakia with my girlfriend and, you know, I called, you know, after I arrived, I called my boss and I said, I'm quitting. And he thought I'd met somebody in Czechoslovakia and decided to stay. And I said, no, I want to start my own firm. And he thought I was crazy. And it's just like, (laughs) and I called my great advisor again, my dad. And I said, dad, this is what I want to do. And he said, guess what the answer was? Go for it. Encouragement again. So I started my firm and my boss became my first client. No way. He gave Are me, you kidding? This yes. is beautiful. What a beautiful yeah. So he gave me a cubicle within his own office, and he gave me my first project. And after we grew, then I moved to another building and, you know, got a part of somebody else's office. And we took over the whole office when the fellow retired. And then now we have our own building in downtown San Francisco and we opened up a branch office in uh, Oakland and in, you know, another one in Los Angeles. And, you know, the thing is, uh, I keep talking about the, the challenges of engineering, but personal challenges had a lot to do with all of this as a woman in this business. And that's why I started a, a small firm. And my firm is like a family now. And we help each other out. My staff is my support group. I don't look at him as a staff. We are like a family helping each other, working on our goal, which is doing a good job on a project. And that's what we do. And instead of uh, stabbing each other in the back and, you know, we have zero politics or maybe very little politics. And instead of stabbing each other back, we have each other's back. Oh, that's well stated. Instead of stabbing each other in the back, we have each other's back. There's a massive difference. That's right. And I can talk to you about the challenges of being woman in this business. Please, I don't please you, do. Yeah, if you want to hear about that. Absolutely. Those challenges started it very early on in this business. And I was an engineering student. And even though I was an honor student, the first day that I was in my class, when I was getting my master's degree, the professor, and I used to sit in front of the class because they were all men. And the oh. professor came up to me and he looked at me and he said, are you in the right class? No. And I'm like, did you really? You know, I was, oh. I was shocked. 
<laughs> I was absolutely shocked because I didn't expect that from a professor, but it happened. And the perception issue, which I believe is linked to the lack of trust in the ability of women in engineering field, and especially in the leadership position, followed me throughout my career. And I started my firm, as I you know, mentioned to you, in a very young age. And when I went to meetings with clients or colleagues that they did not know me, they thought um, I'm there to take notes, as opposed oh. to being a major part of the meeting or running the meeting. Natalie, and this is amazing. I mean, no, it's amazing that this is all in the 20th century. Exactly. <laughs> it used to offend me a lot, but, you know, but now I laugh about it. You know, it's just so different now, you know, the way I feel about it. Yeah. How did you get to and, laugh about it? I mean, that, that's, that's a major step to be able to, what was once offensive is now humorous. Because I see the results. I uh-huh. see the respect that I get after the fact. You know, after the original hurdle or original perception, they see what I'm all about or what I can produce, then I laugh about it. And believe it or not, this has happened even a couple of years ago. I was helping a client in Los Angeles on a major, major contract, you know, to provide a proposal. And usually as a subconsultant, you don't do a lot. But in this case, the guy was asking me to do way beyond of the scope of our participation, which I did because I wanted to get hooked with that company. But everything was done remotely. The guy never met me. So we got the project, believe it or not. It was a major transportation project, a couple of billion dollars. And so after we got the project, we decided to have a meeting, a face-to-face meeting at their offices. So I brought an associate of mine with me to the meeting. And after initial pleasantry and whatnot, the guy started to talk about the scope and the contract. The whole time he was talking to my associate, even <gasps> like I don't exist. And he wasn't even making an eye contact with me or even address me. And I was doing all the talking. I feel like it was a Muppet show. <laughs> <laughs> the Muppet show. The somebody else. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it was just like, okay, whatever, you know. And then when we left the meeting, it was almost comical. My associate came up to me and looked at me with a big surprise. And he said, Natalie, I think this is still a man's world, isn't it? And I'm like, okay, it it doesn't matter. I mean, let's just see what happens at the end. We got the contract, so who cares, you know? And so enough said about perception, you know, it's just like, but it's a big thing. Believe it or not, it's a big thing in this industry. Wow. But we do have other challenges in this business. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're small or big or you're woman-owned or male-oriented or whatever you are. The thing is the uh, lack of interest in students to go to engineering business. My understanding is in the last 10 years, percentage of college students, male or female, attending engineering school as opposed to other technical disciplines such as computer software or hardware is down. 60% of the students that start going to engineering school drop out, and about 40% don't even make it through the first year. I think maybe it's because part of it is lack of their preparedness or high-level rigor, or some students don't even go to the engineering field because they have no clue what the engineering is all about. You know, they probably think it's just a bunch of calculus and physics classes and so difficult, and it's not fun, it's not rewarding, and... It's a very hard business. That's the reason. And I'm part of California Engineering Licensing you know, Board, Engineering and Land Survey Licensing Board. 
And some of the things that we do is outreach from time to time to engineering schools to explain to the students the benefit of the licensing. But I think we should do better and go deeper and reach the students at the younger age and maybe even high school, you know, freshmen and talk to them about the benefit and joy of engineering as opposed to worry about licensing because that's even further down. You know? Excellent. This is excellent. On that subject, when we return, you're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Scholarship America believes that every student, regardless of financial status, deserves an opportunity to go to college. Since its founding, Scholarship America has distributed more than $3 billion to 2 million students nationwide. It supports a number of leading programs, including Dollars for Scholars, Dream Keepers, and Scholarship Management Services. You can help make a difference to the lives of students. To learn more, visit scholarshipamerica.org. We're talking today with Natalie Alavi, president of the award-winning firm NBA Engineering Incorporated. For more information, feel free to visit www.nba.org. ENG.com. That's www.nbaeng.com. Natalie, regards to the outreach to engineering school and, and how to inspire, we spoke of early in, the, in our show, to inspire really children that what they can do with engineering. And it's not just the licensing and the rigors of the profession and the rigors of becoming a professional, but actually the fulfillment that they would feel as people and as professionals share with us how you currently doing that and how you can um, do more of it. Exactly. So one of the things that I decided to do, I mean, speaking of starting in a younger age, I have decided to speak at my son's at my 14 year old son uh, career day and talk about engineering because the school gave us a list of topics. And one of the topics was engineering and they wanted to get the parents to talk about their professions and encourage the students. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to talk to them to show that some of the wonders of the world that is done by engineers, you know, these incredible buildings, and then tell them that there is a lot of satisfaction to create a safe and functional and sustainable environment, provide, you know, help to do design systems for a great building to work or live in, or a transportation system that provides easy commute and reduce people's stress of commute and help their everyday life. And because of this reason, I mean, you know, which I'm going to be talking about all of this mm-hmm. and then show them that, you know, it's a lot more to engineering than what you think is math and physics is all about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like for instance, in our, you know, show them some of our projects, you know, we have done projects, like say I'm riding a bar to San Francisco airport. That was one of our projects. And what a joy is that to see, like, I can get on board in San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, and easily get to, to the airport with no problem. I was instrumental to that. Or I have reduced the carbon footprint, which is a major problem in today's world. And the construction industry is one of the major contributors of that. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing to do. Or I have, you know, sit in a restaurant in St. Regis Towers. That was one of our projects. I'm eating, I'm dining in this beautiful place. And we created that. Or I have helped the hospitals or the research facilities 
by designing a great system so the doctors can help and save their patients and not worry about anything else, negative pressure or positive pressure, or they germ get out or do something else. So those are the kind of things I would like to talk about with them. Yeah, what what is and, it like uh, when you share your stories? What 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 is their yes. their expression? What do they share with you after hearing you? Well, I will find I will tell you about it after I have that, which is going to happen in February. Okay. Okay. I definitely would share that with you. So our presentation is in February at their school. That's excellent, but you're already mentally and emotionally prepared to share with them, and I can't imagine. I think as a were they fourteen? You said fourteen years old. Yeah, 14 years old. Okay. He's a freshman in high school. Yeah. That's a, an opportune time. I, I would think maybe even earlier if you can get that because, yeah, other than the encouragement from your, your father and your professor, do you recall anything anyone even spoke of engineering and, like you said, the wonders of the world and how impact how much of an impact you can have? Well, I mean, one of the other things, you know, because then we can talk about the I'm always a person that thinks outside of the box. And that's, you know, and I always look for new things and better things or whatever. And then as far as encouragement or, well, it's encouragement and discouragement, I should call it, but <laughs> at the same time, because they always seem to me, you know, my experiences are hand in hand, you know, but it depends on how you deal with it and how you put a twist to it, in other words, you know. Sure. When you talk about the modern technology which causes a lot of the wonders of the world and a lot of the sustainable systems and environment and whatnot. I remember in mid-90s or late 90s, which the uh, USGBC was in infancy, an avant-garde architect out of Santa Barbara contacted us to work on a system for this building, which was actually there were two buildings. There was a public library, which looked like a space shuttle landed on top of a building, and they, all the surrounding of it on the, on the roof were made out of the photovoltaic and solar panels. And then the, there was a building next to it, which was considered as a research building. And the walls were cut off with straw bale and tires. And they used their, you know, talking about using a recycled water and that sort of thing. And this concept design was shut down by the that particular agency because they thought he was crazy, you know, and they, they eliminated the project. And two years later, they built a library, which was basically a square box. But all of that encouraged me and working with this architect encouraged me to be one of the original members of the USGBC and get my lead accreditation. And today, as you know, everything is lead. Everything is sustainable. Everything, everybody wants to push the envelope and become, you know, having a designing a building that is LEED gold certified or even platinum certified and using all those elements that previously people thought it was crazy to use. But because of the encouragement of this one particular client and the way he was thinking, I went all the way with it. I love that. I went all the way with it. Natalie, share with us like a day in the life of, you know, your world. If you, you know, obviously it's going to vary, but you know, as the owner and founder of your company, what, how much is it is technical and how much is it relationship based? If you, Um, well, this is a very good question, Tom, because well, the day to day work, you know, I get involved in everything as an, you know, like maybe on a larger firm, they don't get so much involved in, in detail day to day operations as well, whether it's technical or financial or whatever else. 
But I do because when I joke with people, I tell them I'm a janitor all the way to the president, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I have to deal with everything. So basically, and one of the major challenges that we have as a small firm, because as I'm sure you know, this business is brutally competitive. Sure. And a lot of it could be based on relationships and a lot of it based on perception. And we are competing. They're either competing with a larger firm, which they have a lot of relationships with clients. And then they have, and they have, you know, as everybody knows, 50% of projects uh, of, of the clients, I'm sorry, goes to uh, 50% of the clients want to work with a larger firm. Just because, you know, they have, they get a, a comfort feeling that uh, they're going to hold their hand or maybe they have some sort of relationship with them or maybe they are, you know, they're going to uh, save them of potential liabilities and all the stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Even though, let's say, maybe they put out a solicitation that they say they wanted the small business to go after the solicitation, but you know, they feel like they are more comfortable working with a, with a bigger firm. So uh, our thing is like create that relationship with a client and maybe work on a smaller job with them and then to show them how confident we are. We are like a boutique firm. You go to a boutique to get the best quality outfit. So that's what you do when you work with a small firm. And also, or we go and join that larger firm to go together as a team, mm. you know, but then, you know, pursue a project but if you team up with them then you are also facing its own set of challenges because then you have very little or almost no control over the schedule of the project let's say okay sometimes you have to work under a very tight deadline without having much of say to it or the budget that they not necessarily dictate to you but you know you negotiate with them or work with them through that particular budget and then also, the last but not least, working through their politics. Sometimes you have to work with the multiple disciplines or multiple people, you know, a lack of communication among those multiple people. So those are the set of challenges that you have to face with. But believe it or not, we're used to it and you can deal with it. I love and, that. Uh, and we find a way to handle all that. That's terrific. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford. FM. Teach for America is a national core of outstanding recent college graduates and professionals who commit to teaching for two years in urban and rural public schools in lower income areas nationwide. If you're a college senior interested in being part of this core, or if you'd like to help support the program, visit teachforamerica.org. We're talking today with Natalie Alavi president of the award-winning firm NBA Engineering Incorporated. For more information, you can visit www.nbaeng.com. That's www.nbaeng.com. Natalie, before the break, you were talking of how to work with, you know, especially on a joint venture, that that has its own challenges and that you're, sounds like you're getting better and better at that. How much of your practice is from previous clients and then it just grows from new projects and how much from 
you know, new projects that you reach out or you, you develop relationships with people. I don't know if you ever quantified the number or percentage, but is there a, you know, 50, 50, most come from referrals, some come from meetings or networking? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Like um, a lot of our projects are repeat projects or probably about 70% of it, I would say, but then we also always look for new clients and also look for new ventures and try to do some fine work, sort of speaking. So in other words, like one of our prime contract recently was we joined with the, the major engineering firm as a joint venture in Los Angeles, which we never met them before, but, you know, we had a series of meetings, indirect meetings, and they got to know us, you know, and we decided to work together and put not only this joint venture together, but also a mentorship program Ooh. for other small businesses. And then the agency really liked what we did, so we got the project. So it's about seven to ten year contract, which is which is wonderful. <laughs> yes. We're very happy about it. And we're also happy that we would be mentoring other small businesses, you know, through that program. Now, mentorship. Share with us a bit about mentorship, what it means to you and how it's worked and how you envision it working. Well, the mentorship is like something we really like to do, whether, as I said, more officially through a uh, contract for other small firms. They're still a small firm, but I mean, through the small firms or the individuals, maybe bringing the interns to our office. We also had a lot of great experiences by hiring interns, engineering interns or marketing interns to our office. And they're very hardworking. We teach them what we can. We even learn from them, you know, because a lot of these kids are so familiar with high technology. And the construction industry is not one of the highest technology, but uh, (laughs) it's getting there. And so it would be very nice to kind of link them with that because I know that there are a lot of other stuff out there, such as, as an example, robotics, for instance, that people are using now in construction industry or uh, well, not too long ago, we were starting to use BIM and 3D modeling. And a lot of uh, older engineers and older CAD operators are not very well versed in that. But the younger kids are much better. And they come in as an intern. They start learning, you know, the design and they help us on their technology. And together we are, you know, building a great team. Yeah, it sounds like from the, your knowledge, your experience, and your uh, your drive, Natalie, that you're also just as willing to learn. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I will learn until the day I die. I mean, you know, it's just like uh, you can never stop learning. Yeah. If you do that, that's the day you can dormant and you're not doing yourself or anybody else any good, you know? Yeah. Do your clients feel, I, I can imagine that your clients must feel not just your positive energy and your successful, your experience, but also that there's a level of care that I believe you have. Do you, have they ever expressed that to you, that you have a genuine care for not just the project, but for them? Sometimes they do. And sometimes indirect, like I can give you an example for that. One of the things that we do, one of the tasks that we perform in our office is value engineering. For people that they don't know what that is, it's like, you know, just to make it simple, you think outside of the box to give the best value for the price, you know, of either designing a system or doing, you know, or constructing something to make it simple. So it requires a lot of thinking outside of the box. So we had this one project that was a maintenance facility for a transportation client, and they wanted to build an additional storage facility 
that, you know, it costs several million dollars and they wanted to us to do the value engineering on that project. So the first thing that I came to my mind was, okay, well, if you we were doing that storage facility, that would be also a design job for us. But as a value engineer person, that's not how I think. I think as whether or not they would need that storage facility. So what I did was I found out that there were so many different departments that were, you know, they, they were involved in that. They, they had their own opinions and they, they had their own desires and wishes about what they want to store, where they want to store, how much space, and all the rest of it. So what I did was I decided to have a couple of meetings with these people and invite everybody to come to those meetings. Those people never talked to each other. The right hand didn't talk to the left hand. So by communicating and going through top to bottom of, what their wishes was, what their requirement was, and what the storage facility requirement was, we found out by the end of the several meetings that they don't even need additional storage facility. They can use their existing facility and they can rearrange something to be able to do that. And so we saved them several million dollars by doing that. But the client was extremely happy and that way they, you know, they expressed their understanding that I really cared about helping the client as opposed to creating a project for myself, you know? you know. Why create something that is not needed? Yeah, that's a whole different facet that you're bringing to bring not just the technical expertise, and we'll talk about that in just a second again, but the actual bringing people together that never even brought were brought together, and you were like not, <laughs> and you facilitated that. That's a whole nother yeah. skill set. How how do you um, work with it at the specifics, the technical facet of the electrical or the mechanical engineering as a contractor? Can you share with us some of the, the, the technical facets of it that you find intriguing and actually necessary? Absolutely. On the technical side, okay, as I said, we do a lot of different things. We provide system design. Everything goes from the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, piping, fire protection, electrical power, lighting, telecommunication, you name it. All the guts of the building is created by us. In other words, let me give you a simple example. Like say, the work that we provide, you don't see. It's all behind the scenes, you know, but it makes the building function, whether it's a transportation facility, whether it's a rail facility, whether it's an airport, whether it's a high-rise building. Without our systems, those buildings do not function. As an example, we did a project in Oakland Airport, Port of Oakland. We we designed what they call central plant, the T2 mechanical building. This building supports the entire airport. Without that building, nothing functions in that airport. But if somebody comes and goes to the airport, you don't see anything we do. You know, everything is behind the scenes. So this is a great challenge. This is something that myself personally gives me a great satisfaction. And that's why I want to make sure that other, you know, kids that go to engineering school understand all of that. So they know that after all the hard work, this is the reward, you know? How also do you quantify the value of what you do as a company, as a firm, as a professional? Do you have a process to quantify the value of what you bring to a project specifically for a a new client? 
Well, I'm not so sure what you mean by quantify. You mean as far yes. as the color wise? To try to tangibly show them here's the value of NBA engineering oh. and, and here's here's why. Now, I'm talking a new person, someone who doesn't know you or has not worked with you. If they're just well, I, just a new well, person, a new company that or a new project that's just looking at you fresh and wanting to know who you are, what you do, and do you have a process that you go through to share with them the value of what you bring to the project and to them? The, the main, the best value is for them to know what we're all about is talking about services that we provide and show them the hundreds of buildings that we have done, hundreds. the hundreds and projects that we have done, which is small or large, and we are very diversified. We've done, as I said, anything from the airport to bar to metro to underground stations, 100 feet below the most uh, prestigious street in Los Angeles, Woodshaw Boulevard, the Rodeo Station, from, you know, the people mover in San Francisco airport. We work with Atrans, you know, the Mercedes-Benz to design and build. Uh, we also provide this mechanical contracting, design and build their maintenance facility that is at the airport. So those are the kind of things we show them. And in addition to that, we show them how environment is important to us. Construction industry is one of the major contributors sure. to carbon footprint. And mechanical electrical engineering is a major part of LEED certification. Mm-hmm. And if you do our mm-hmm. job right, you know, and create a sustainable system, whether it's a photovoltaic or whether it's a hot water using solar panels or whether it's like a using recycled water or stormwater management or whatever the case may be, it helps them to get those buildings certified, resulting in a much more sustainable building, saving the owner a lot of operating costs, saving the environment, having a pleasurable area to live and work. People work 10, 12 hours of their lives in these buildings. And if this building is a happy place, a comfortable place, safe place, you know, that's what our selling point is really. That's outstanding. Now, you know, I have, I'm going to throw something out there, and if, if I reached a bit, tell me. But I think that there's probably not a building that you probably cannot work on or improve. That is very true. Okay, really. All right. And if I don't, okay. I will find a way to do it. <laughs> Amazing. So if you don't, you'll find a way to – oh, my goodness. Do you find your contemporaries – or even other fields, architects, the folks you may work with, are they just as driven about being as as so thorough and uh, caring and uh, as you are? Or do you just work with whatever they are, you work with them? Well, the thing is that, you know, it depends. I mean, like, obviously, it's a great joy to work with the ones that are in the same, you know, the, the same, same mindset. Yeah, mindset. There you go. The Absolutely. mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like the architect I was telling you, you know, but the thing is, fortunately or not, you're running a business. You know what I mean? So you always cannot necessarily pick and choose because you have to feed your staff. You have to run the business and you have to generate income. So obviously our preference is to work with, you know, this type of architects or the agencies that share the same mindset. But at occasions we are taking jobs that are not the most desirable jobs for us, but we are hoping to educate the client or educate the people that we work with 
hopefully to get them to that mindset. Certainly, certainly. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. The Museum of American Heritage chronicles the evolution of technological invention from 1750 to 1950. MOA is housed in an historic house and garden in downtown Palo Alto. The museum collects, preserves, and exhibits ingenious electrical and mechanical devices that have changed our lives. The museum is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., except during exhibition changeovers. If you'd like to know more or become a member or volunteer, visit MOA.org. That's M-O-A-H dot org. We're talking today with Natalie Alavi, president of the award-winning firm NBA Engineering Incorporated. For more information, feel free to visit www.nba. ENG.com. That's www.nbaeng.com. Natalie, with architecture, construction, engineering business constantly evolving, the expectations also evolve as well, or does it? What's changed, say, in your experience over the last, say, say five years? Well, absolutely, Tom. You know, because you have to move with the industry. You have to move with the technology. If you don't, you stay behind and you can't compete, obviously. So one of the experiences that I can share with you is use of uh, information BIM, which is a 3D web modeling, which is it was very challenging because now the industry is moving that way. And as I mentioned, I believe earlier, it's like a... A lot of the older engineers or older, you know, CAD operators, they do 2D and they're very unfamiliar with the 3D. So our very first project, even the client wasn't quite well versed into that because they didn't even know how to do the coordination among different disciplines, how to they attach a file, detach the file. You attach one file, everything goes bunkers and, <laughs> you know, the, the, the backgrounds are wrong and everybody using a different background depends on somebody uses a yesterday's background today everything changed you know that sort of thing so it was a kind of a nightmare the first project and it wasn't just our office but everybody i mean like and that was a major supposed to help expediting the design schedule it deteriorated from that and so it was just delaying the design project but again as anything else if you cut through these challenges the result could be much more beneficial because right now we're working on a project that is 3D, that is BIM, it's very complicated, and it's great because we have people that are knowing what they're doing. The client knows a little bit better than what they're doing, even though there's still challenges, but the outcome of it would be much better because you're going to get a set of design that is totally coordinated among different disciplines, very little or no clashes, between your dock work and somebody else's beam or something yeah. else. And then when it goes to construction, it reduces the construction issues, you know, hopefully doesn't delay the construction schedule. And also the, the bottom line is nobody's going to sue anybody, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's going to reduce the construction issues, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. On that litigation, that's always a concern that everyone's, working with uh, is there yeah. the, the potential you know litigation or at least to minimize if not eliminate that is that always factored in to your how you carry out a project almost at all times absolutely yeah. absolutely it is because as i said a lot of times we work on major projects and we work with major clients 
and we are part of their team. So we have to make sure it's a good contract that is written, you know, and make sure that a lot of the things that we're not happy about, sometimes they don't change it. We have to take it or leave it. But a lot of times we can at least discuss it. And if it is unreasonable, you know, they may work around it. Or if it is too unreasonable, it would be a point that we are going to refuse the project. So writing a good contract and having your attorney, I'm becoming an attorney myself and doing all these contracts, but that's besides <laughs> it. It's a good thing, and it's a, it's a must, you know, go into it up front. And the other point is definitely, you know, the scope of work that you write and you deal with, it has to be right on because if they keep adding to your scope, not only it would deteriorate your budget because you're doing things that is outside of your work, that's going to be very, you know, detrimental to running a business. So you have to stop the client right there and just say, this is outside of my scope. And so if they make you do it, you have to pay for it, or it's going to, you know, maybe delay your design schedule and ultimately your construction schedule. So if there is potential litigation, you're at fault, not me. You know, so those kind of things have to be documented properly. So documentation is a major issue or major factor. Yeah, perfect. um, Natalie, is there anything else that we may not have touched on in our show? It just went by so quickly that you would like to share with your audience that we may not have touched on in our show. I just want to say something. I just want to hopefully after all the challenges and all the work, I just want to be instrumental in a very small way to this business as far as creating a better, more sustainable project, encouraging a new generation and get them interested, you know, to get involved in this great field of engineering and don't let it die. I mean, this is a great field. If you know how to deal with it, if you know how to work through the challenges, it could be absolutely rewarding. And without us, engineers and architects, you will not be having all these great buildings, great transportation, bridges, and all that. You're so true. That was a perfect sign. Uh, That was a ringing endorsement. Natalie, it's been an honor and pleasure having you as our guest today. Thank you very much. Thank you you so much. I hope you consider being on our show again in the very near future. Really do. Absolutely. It will be my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Natalie Alavi, president of NBA Engineering Incorporated. NBA Engineering is an award-winning mechanical and electrical engineering design and construction management firm with offices in San Francisco, Oakland, and Los Angeles and lead accredited professionals on staff. Since 1994, NBA Engineering has been helping the environment through innovative designs. For more information, feel free to visit www.nbaeng.com. That's www.nbaeng.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location in California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Hayhagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews with an S 
at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.